that we're going to be on the topic of faithfulness this morning, the measure of parenting. We're going to look at this, we're going to try to kind of break this down in three ways. Um, one, we're going to look at God, our example of faithfulness. Secondly, we're going to look at the scriptures, which is our guide to faithfulness. And then really, we're going to be spending the bulk of our time this morning in, uh, in that point for their parenting, our call to faithfulness. So I'm going to pray for us, and we are going to go ahead and get started. Father, we are grateful to be together this morning to think about what it means to be a faithful parent. Um, we thank you for being a faithful father and, and a perfect example of faithfulness. God, we thank you for your word um, that is our guide to faithfulness. Uh, we pray that you would increase our faith, help us to carry out your commands that we would be faithful in everything we do, including raising our children to know you and to love you. God, I pray that we learn from you today and that you would be glorified by our time together this morning. Amen. All right. Well, in all of eternity, there has only been one faithful parent, and that's God the Father, and only one perfect Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father was always pleased with the Son, and the Son always carried out the will of the Father. We will never be perfect parents, and we will never have perfectly faithful children. I'm sorry to have to say that this morning. I'm sure that's a surprise. But what we do have is a perfectly faithful Father who understands our need and is willing to help us. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. God wants what's best for our children, but only he is able to produce it. We do not have the burden of, change, of their change placed on us. We are only called to be a faithful tool in God's hands. So let's look at God, um, our example of faithfulness. We have a father who does not demand instant change. We have a father who understands our condition and confronts us, but with his grace. We have a Father who will faithfully and patiently work in our lives over a long period of time. We need His faithful care if we are ever going to change, and we need to give the same faithful care to our children if we want to see lasting fruit, fruitful change in them. Both the Old and the New Testament describe God as faithful. When the Old Testament describes God's faithfulness, we see the following attributes, permanent, true, certain, steadfast, enduring, trustworthy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some verses from the Old Testament, and I want you to just kind of think about these things. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's faithfulness is great. He will do what he has promised us he will do. He's faithful to us. He's also faithful to himself. He is faithful to his purposes, and they will be accomplished. And he's faithful to his promises, and they will be fulfilled. First Chronicles 16.34 Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. God's faithfulness endures. It lasts. It continues Deuteronomy 7, 9, 
Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God's faithfulness is steadfast, it's unwavering, it's fixed in place. Psalm 40:11 As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. He is faithful to keep and preserve his saints. In Psalm 86:15 But you, O Lord, are a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's faithfulness shows the depth of his mercy and his grace. And Psalm 115:1 Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And because of his faithfulness, he receives glory. In the New Testament, God's faithfulness is described in much the same way, trustworthy, reliable, and true. Listen to these verses, how the New Testament explains God's faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. God's faithfulness is sure, he keeps his word. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and he's just. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We can be assured of our fellowship with Jesus because of God's faithfulness. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The promises of God are exceedingly great and precious, and he will fulfill every one of them. He will work in our afflictions for good. He will support us in our troubles. He will be our God, and he will love us with an everlasting love. He will be with us and protect us, and he's promised us eternal life. Because of all God's faithfulness, we have hope. We know his faithfulness will never fail. So given what we know about God's faithfulness, we are able to remain steadfast, trustworthy, and true. To God, to his word, and to our commitment to our children's good. That leads us right into the scriptures, our guide to faithfulness. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 16. We're going to spend a minute there. It reads, Follow, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The scriptures are God's word given to us and tell us everything we know to parent faithfully. They are breathed out by God and they carry his divine authority. In these verses we see faithful parenting at work. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So for Timothy, this refers to his mother and grandmother. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. 
The truth of the gospel is transferred through relationships. There's no better discipleship unit than the family. There is no one better to model for, teach, or shepherd a child than their parents. God's desire for our families is that we be God-glorifying, disciple-making units. And we are to influence our children to become fully devoted followers of Christ who love him and love others. So we see Timothy was the product of generations of faithfulness. God's word showed Timothy and it shows us. Let me back up a second. Go back to verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So God's word showed Timothy, and it shows us, and it shows our children the way of salvation. Timothy was acquainted with the scriptures because he was taught the scriptures, and ultimately he was saved through faith in Jesus Christ. The faithfulness of Timothy's parents led to a faithful outcome in Timothy. But that's not always the case. We're going to look at a few other examples here. Let's think about Samson. In Judges 13, we read about Samson. The Lord promises a son to Samson's mother and tells her the child will be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Samson's parents prayed to the Lord, and they followed the Lord's instructions. Faithful. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So Samson's story should have been one of wise leadership in Israel, but instead he was seduced by a woman, and because of his foolishness, his days ended in forced humility and shame. So here we see faithful parents with a painful outcome. In 1 Samuel, we read about Eli, who was a high priest in Israel. And although he knew God, he did not honor him, and he failed miserably as a father. 1 Samuel 2.12 Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And in 1 Samuel 2.29 we see that Eli not only tolerated his son's sins, but participated in it by eating the portion of the sacrifices intended for the Lord. Then in 1 Samuel 3.13 we read, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God. And he did not restrain them. So here we have an unfaithful father and unfaithful children. Unfaithful outcome. And then in 2 Kings 16, we read about Ahaz, king of Judah. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Two chapters later, we read about his son Hezekiah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. And he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, and he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. So here we have an incredibly unfaithful father, but a very faithful son. So we see that from these examples, 
God's choosing depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. We read that in Romans 9.16. And our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 115.3. We know that we must share the gospel with our children, but God does not guarantee us that he will save them. We cannot implant faith in our children, nor can we increase it. Faith is a gift from God and comes only by his power. We need only to be faithful instruments in his hands. We are called by God to be faithful parents, but we must leave the results up to him. So that, that gets us through kind of the first two points there. Let me just stop there for a quick second and see if there's any question or comment on that. We're going to spend the, the bulk of our time here in the, in the next section, but just see if there's anything. And I desperately needed a drink of water. All right, we'll, we'll have time at the end, so if you think of something, jot it down, and, and uh, we'll, we'll hear it in the end. Parenting, our call to faithfulness. Planting and watering, we'll start there. We're going to talk about planting and watering, encouraging and correcting, praying and persevering. Chat Bettis says in, in his book, The Disciple-Making Parent, we discipline our children not so that they will make us happy, but so that they will serve Christ as adults. We educate them, not so that they will have a good job, but so that they'll be the best follower of Jesus that they can be. We work hard to prepare them, not for graduation day, but for judgment day. It's our job is not to raise good kids who pursue the American dream with a little Christianity sprinkled in for good measure. Christ's desire is for his followers to do all they can to raise regenerated, obedient, God-glorifying disciples using all the means of grace possible. God has given us our children, and he's called us to be faithful parents. We are to do everything we can to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our focus as parents should be faithfulness while trusting that God will use our efforts to bless our children. He graciously uses us, but he does not leave the results up to us. This truth should be incredibly freeing. We can focus on parents. We can have our focus in the things that are in our control, and that's our faithfulness, rather than the things that are not in our control, and that's our children's responses. We do, however, pray that our faithfulness will lead to a right response in our child. If we focus on the results, many times we end up discouraged. If we are instead focused on our faithfulness and recognize that good results are a blessing from God, then we will respond with gratitude to him for using our efforts in the lives of our children. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, as we think about planting and watering. Verse 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. 
So there's only one Lord, and that is Christ. Paul and Apollos were simply his servants. They were instruments in his hands to encourage and share Christ. So like Paul laid the foundation, he planted, we are also to lay the foundation of the gospel in the lives of our children. And like Apollos watered, we are to make them fruitful for every good word and work, but ultimately, we can't cause them to grow. It will be God who gives the growth. As those called by God to faithfully minister to our children, we will plant and water. We will teach them the word, we will share the gospel, and we will wait on the Lord and we will trust his outcome. What does planting and watering look like? Well, teaching them to live lives worthy of the Lord, teaching them the gospel and proclaiming Christ to them. So let's look at teaching them to live lives worthy of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So how do we do this? How do we teach them to live lives worthy of the Lord? Well, we strongly encourage them to turn from their sin. We encourage them to believe in Christ as the only hope for lost sinners. We encourage them to walk in faith. We imitate the Lord in righteousness and holiness. We teach them to live according to his will. We believe the gospel and we follow the commands of Jesus. And we teach them to love Jesus more than they love us or more than they love anything else in the world. This might be the most important thing we do as we teach them to live lives worthy of the Lord. We teach them to love Jesus more than they love us or more than they love anything else in the world. If that happens, all those other things will have happened or will, or will happen. Deuteronomy 6.5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. What's wrapped up in loving the Lord? We must have a knowledge of him, delight in him, have faith in him, trust in him, fear him, worship him, be obedient to him. And how do we love him this way? With all the affection of our heart, with all the sincerity of our soul, and with all the strength of our might. Teaching them to live lives worthy of the Lord should control our decision making. Paul David Tripp says, We're not just keeping our kids from doing bad things in the world's culture. We are trying to enculturate them in a different way. What does that look like? We focus on issues of identity. Who am I in the world? How do I define my identity? How do I look at material possessions? What defines success for me? Well, th this sometimes involves us making unpopular decisions with our children. I think that maybe we were the king and queen of unpopular decisions in our house as our kids were growing up. Taylor, Taylor and Samantha, when they were younger, we lived in a, a neighborhood um, and it, apparently in our neighborhood is where all the cool kids lived. That's where all the cool girls lived. That's where the sleepovers happened. That's where they wanted to be. And so every time that they had asked us to go to a sleepover and we had to say no um, because we didn't know what was being talked about. We didn't know what movies were being watched. We didn't know what was happening. Um, we, we were unpopular in that. But, um, you know, we would let them go maybe have dinner or, or lunch or, or spend a few hours in the afternoon. But once the, 
Once the evening activities started, they had to come home. Sam uh, remembers a story about wanting to go to a little girl's birthday party. Well, the birthday party was going to be at a cemetery, and they were going to tell ghost stories for her, I don't know, it couldn't have been seventh or eighth birthday. So we took her, we had cake and ice cream, and then we brought her home with us while they went off to, to, to celebrate the rest of the birthday party. We had to make decisions about clothing, especially swimwear. I don't know if you guys have young girls, but uh, making decisions about swimwear is very difficult and very unpopular when they see their friends wearing this kind of swimwear and they are, they're supposed to wear this kind of swimwear. So we make our clothing choices based on modesty. That's how we choose. And when, and when they see other kids wearing the latest trends in clothes and they want and they want and they want, we, uh, we always explain to them that we would buy things based on what we need and not what we want. Our kids, our girls, and especially our girls, because our two oldest are girls, had a lot of hand-me-down clothes. Um, but we, we buy things based on our need. When our family made entertainment choices, uh, this was also unpopular. There ba- we, we made our entertainment choices based on whether they glorified the Lord or not. Um, if the answer was not, then we didn't watch it. Whether it was the most popular TV show or movie out there, we just didn't watch it. Uh, we, we were even known to walk out of a movie theater after the first few minutes of a movie. And our kids would try to hike their jacket over their head. You can't, you know, hiding from the, the friends that might be in the movie theater, completely embarrassed. But when we see or hear our children talking more about cool movies and movie stars and singers and athletes, how cool they are, how beautiful they are, we need to direct them to the beauty and majesty of Jesus and his kingdom. We must teach our children not to desire to be as much like everyone else as they can be, but to be as much like Jesus as they can be. We must show our kids that there's a greater kingdom besides their own. We show them that we belong to God's kingdom and we surrender our desires to his. To this day, most of our children will tell you that they are thankful for the guardrails that we put up when they were younger and how they ha- those same things have carried through into their lives, even as adults. Secondly here, we teach them the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. The most vital thing we can do as a parent, the thing of first importance, is to faithfully present the gospel to them at all ages. Teach them to know who God is. There's no one like him. He's always existed. He's our creator. He's personally involved. He's holy. He's completely untainted by sin. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. He is righteous. He's almighty and sovereign over creation. He's merciful and compassionate. He's loving. He's gracious. He's faithful. Teach them who we are. We were created by God. We were created without sin. We were created to worship God, to serve him, to reflect his glory, to proclaim his majesty. We were also created to be loved by God, to be cared for, taught by, satisfied by, and comforted by him. We were created to walk in all his ways. We were created to be in a close relationship with our creator. 
But then sin entered the world. So we teach them what sin is, how it happened, what its effects are. We all sin, and our sin has separated us from our Creator, and the punishment for sin is death, and we'll be judged for it. And then we teach them about salvation. Teach them clearly that no matter how good they are or how special we think they are, we cannot remove ourselves from the punishment that sin deserves. We all need a Savior, and that includes our children. And then that leads us right into proclaiming Christ. We proclaim Christ to them. Jesus came. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He died, and he was raised victorious over sin and death. Jesus is who he says he is, and he accomplished what he says he will accomplish. Only the sinless Son of God would satisfy the penalty due to a perfectly holy and perfectly just God. There is salvation in no one else. And when we are made alive in Christ, we are forgiven of all our sin. 2 Corinthians 2, 17-20 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we are, implore our children to turn from their sin, be reconciled to God, live as a new creation. And we also show our kids that we love Jesus. We make it obvious, not just on Sundays when we bring them to church or not just when things are going wrong. We show them all the time. We don't just say we love Jesus, we show them. We show them by our actions, we show them by the way we live, by the way we serve, by the way we love them, by the way we love others. And, ask, and we ask ourselves, is the praise of Jesus always on our lips? Is our love of Jesus contagious? Let's take a minute and look how faithfulness in sharing the gospel might look different at each, at each stage in your child's life. Infants. We can talk to them about God and his goodness. We can read simple books that share gospel truths. I was talking last week about my grandson. He, he loves, he's one year old, he loves to sit on your lap and turn the pages while you read a book. Sing to them. Ephesians 5.19, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. As a toddler, share the goodness of God with them. Use simple verses as you talk to them. Read God's word to them. Pray with and for them. Bring them to church. Talk to them about God's creation. Point out the rain and the rainbows. All creation declares the glory and the majesty of God. Brady did a really good job with this with our kids when you'd see the beautiful pink sunset and just declaring the glory and the majesty of God. Or you'd look at the stars in the sky on a clear night or, or if we were out of town at the ocean or something, just continually praising the Lord for his creation. School-aged children, teach them what God says about specific subjects. Teach them the gospel. Teach them to give God thanks and praise. Teach them how to study scripture. Have them memorize it. I've talked to so many people who parents made them memorize 
scripture when they were young and who are so very, very thankful for that. Show them how to ask for and receive forgiveness. Take them with you when you serve people in the church. Teach them that it's okay to ask hard questions and help them find the answers. And then teenagers. Teach them not to forget about God during their teenage years. Teach them wisdom. Teach them to, bear, to hear their father's instruction and not forsake their mother's teaching. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Teach them not to gratify their fleshly desires. Romans 13, 14. Encourage personal devotions. Be faithful to present the hope of the gospel. Point them to the example of faithful saints in the church. I think this, would be, this is a great thing for teenagers. Do you want to know what it looks like to walk with the Lord for, for years and years? Go talk to these faithful saints. As our children grow older, we will have less and less control over them, but we can still do everything in our power to influence them in these things, even as they leave the house. And in every stage of their lives, pray for them and pray with them. Faithfully planting and watering will look different in, in every family. This looked different in our family at different times, at different stages in our kids' lives. Sometimes we'd get together in the evening and we would, we would read the Bible, we would discuss, and we would go around in a circle and pray together. Sometimes we did this during dinner. Sometimes we listened. Sometimes we read. Um, we, would, uh, uh, we would put scripture memory verses in their shower. We'd laminate these pieces of paper and, and stick them up in the shower. I mean, you don't have anything else to do while you're in the shower. You might as well learn some scripture. Uh, we would have Bible studies with them. Brady would study with the girls. I'd study with the boys and, and their friends and, and their fathers. Um, we, took, we took them on trips. We took them to Guatemala. We took them to Haiti. We took them around places in the United States just to show them how to love people and serve people and care for people and share the, share the good news of Jesus with people in other contexts. Um, this is going to look different for, for all of us. It's going to look different for you and your family and different during the different stages of your child's life. But it's, it's not so much about what we do or how we do it. It's about our faithfulness to plant the seeds and to water. So we get to encouraging and correcting. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. Instruct them in the knowledge of God. Set a good example. Take care to keep them from following the people and the things of the world. Pray with them. Sometimes this looks like saying no to what they want. Like we talked about earlier, there are just countless times that our children would request to do something, and the answer had to be no, as hard as that was, because it would not be walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Any of you who have been a parent, uh, know the feeling of saying the same thing for the hundredth time. For example, don't hit your brother. What do we really want when we say that? We really want them to stop hitting their brother. That's all. Just don't do it anymore. But we need to remind ourselves to slow down and explain why, why do we not want them to hit their brother. Well, it's not kind or caring. It's not loving. It's not obeying your parents. But ultimately, it's not honoring the Lord. There are moments that we need the reminder 
that this is the work that the Lord has given us. We should slow down and point them to Christ. And like we talked about last week, lasting change comes from heart change. We know that if our child's heart does not change, any change in behavior will only be temporary. Titus 2, 11-13 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to train our children to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We must teach and train our children to be different from the world. Worldliness has much to do with our affections. The problem is that worldly affections turn our hearts away from Jesus. God has given us many things to enjoy, but our enjoyment of them cannot lead to idolatry. Sinful lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are filling our world. We live in a time where if we allow social media to control our children's lives, it certainly will. It glorifies sin, and it does our, its best to teach our children to come join the party. We need to be ready to call sin sin, call ungodliness ungodliness, and teach our children to refuse sin and not run after the passions that the world is begging them to love. And by God's grace, we show our children, by our own actions, how to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And we bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your children diligently and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. So when should we teach our children God's commands? All the, all the time. Parents are to spend much time with their children training and instructing them. This is many times in direct contrast to the culture we live in. Our culture is not concerned with training and instructing our children. And if they are concerned with training and instructing our children, it's not in the ways we would want them to be trained and instructed. But our culture is concerned with filling their time, our time with the things that indulge our desires. right? Filling our time with the things that make us happy. God has revealed himself and, and his will and his word, and he has given it to us for our use and instruction. In it, he has shown us his promises and our obligations so that we will do what he has asked us. Share God's word with your children all the time. Share it with them in the morning when they're eating their breakfast and getting ready for school. Write scripture on their notebook or, or on a napkin and throw it in their lunchbox so they see it throughout the day. Use illustrations from it when you're talking to them about their day. Listen to it or read it at dinner. Learn it during family devotions. Pray it before putting your kids to bed. Train them in it all day. And then 
see here, we bring them up in the fear of the Lord. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Fearing the Lord is foundational to everything we do. Teaching them that fearing the Lord is having a reverential affection and devotion to God. Fearing the Lord is having a reverential affection and devotion to God. Worshiping Him with our whole being. If they do not fear the Lord, all the knowledge that they have will be of no use to them. If they do not fear the Lord, actually they won't even desire the knowledge. They will not gain wisdom and be wise for salvation. Teach them that we fear the Lord by keeping all His statutes and His commandments. Deuteronomy 6.2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Teach them that the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, Proverbs 8.13. It's the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. It's the fountain of life, Proverbs 14.27. Whoever has it rests satisfied and will not be harmed, Proverbs 19.23. It is wisdom, Job 28, 28. It keeps him from sin, Exodus 20, 20. He gives his mercy to those who fear him, Luke 1, 50. So we not only plant and water and encourage and correct, but finally we pray and we persevere. None of us are faithful to parent the way we should 100% of the time. Sometimes we do things we shouldn't do, and sometimes we don't do things that we should do. We are dependent on God's grace in our lives in order for us to be faithful parents. And we are dependent on His grace to overcome our weaknesses and failures as a parent in the lives of our children. Being a faithful parent will take perseverance. We can define perseverance as the continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, and opposition. Sometimes it means having the same conversation with your kids over and over again. Taylor and I like to run together. Um, I, I use the word running loosely. We, we more like a, a jog. But we often talk while we're running. And uh, she often talks about how worried she is about something. And so I have tell her, I'll tell her over and over again about God's faithfulness in all things and how he cares for her and how he tells us not to worry. And I'll remind her to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and whatever he deems necessary for her life he'll provide. Change is almost always a process and never an event. Change happens when we faithfully do, things, do the things we've talked about over time. Moment by moment, you're working on your child's heart. Moment by moment, you're giving them a biblical worldview. Moment by moment, you're teaching them about Jesus. Moment by moment, you're instructing them in the Lord. Moment by moment, you're awakening their consciences. And each moment, we are giving God the opportunity to do things in and for our children that we cannot do. Parenting is difficult. It's challenging. Like we talked about last week, parenting requires sacrifice. We're going to face challenges we'll face trials, and we'll even face opposition. But we must continue to be faithful and not give up. And remember this. Our faithfulness doesn't depend on the faithfulness of the parents 
who parented us. We cannot use that as an excuse. Our faithfulness can't depend on parenting classes that we have or haven't been to. It can't depend on books that we haven't or have, have or haven't read. Our role model is God himself, and so we have no excuses. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Faithful parenting takes wisdom, power, patience, perseverance, and prayer. And these things we can only get from the Lord. We all share a, perfectly heavenly, a perfect heavenly Father who has given us strength by the power of his Spirit. So we have everything we need to be good earthly parents. And so we continue to be faithful and we pray. Jesus prayed to the Father on our behalf, John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Jesus prayed that God would set apart his children for his service. And we also pray for our children, that the Lord would change their hearts and set them apart for his service. When we recognize our helplessness and complete dependence on God to use our parenting efforts to create fruit in the lives of our children, we are more likely to pray about our parenting, and to pray for our children. Nothing will take the place of you crying out to the Lord with an open Bible in your hands. Prayer is our most powerful resources, as our most powerful resource as we persevere in parenting. We are to be praying at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. We are always in need of God's mercy, and should continually go before the throne of grace and there ask for grace and mercy to help in time of need. First Chronicles 16.11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Well, we should be faithful people. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. Or as the ESV footnote points out, faithfulness. Our calling is to be parents, faithful parents who persevere and leave the results to God. God expects faithfulness, not perfection, in our parenting. In Christ, we have the great hope that we can be faithful whether our children are faithful or not. And the great news is God has given us the strength to do His will to be faithful parents. He gives us our abilities. He assists us in the exercise of our gifts. He makes them useful. And he gets the glory. So 1 Corinthians 10.21, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, including parenting, do all to the glory of God. We do have time for questions. Or comments.
Yeah, right. Um, practical thoughts on, on helping, the child, helping your children see the depth of their sin. Um, and before, before that, the comment was that, that we need to be doing these things for ourselves in order for us to be able to do these things as we raise our children. In order for us to be able to teach our children these things, we need to be know, knowing these things and, and to be living them out. Um, yeah, practical things that... Uh, you know, I, th I think that, I mean, the hope is that as we do all these things that we've just said, that that, that, that realization will develop in the, in the lives of our kids. And it's a, and it's a moment by moment thing. We, we always wanted to, you know, as we were parenting, we would want some just bolt of lightning to come down and, and hit the kids and, oh, this is it. They got it this time. We'd even have conversations where we were like, man, Brady, I, I think they actually got it. And then the next moment, it's back to, you know, back to uh, something else. But, yeah, I mean, it, it is a work of the Spirit. And I, I think just a, um, a continual, it's just a continual telling and a continual um, teaching and a continual helping them to understand. Anyone else have Yeah. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Really good conversation. Thank you. I will pray for us and then we can be dismissed. Father, you are faithful. You always you always do what you've promised you will do. You keep and fulfill every promise you have made. Your faithful love endures forever, forever. We pray with the psalmist not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Because of your faithfulness, Father, we have hope. We are dependent on your grace to overcome our weaknesses and failures. Give us wisdom and power and patience and perseverance as we seek to faithfully parent our children. And we pray that not only in our parenting, but in everything we do, all glory and honor would be given to you. Amen.